excited about what God is doing. Last week, we laid some groundwork, or two weeks ago, I should say, we laid some groundwork for the series that we're in, the Circle Maker series. We talked about becoming a circle maker. And we looked at some quotes from the book, and they, we've been po- putting these on uh, Facebook, and we've been tweeting these, and, and these are some quotes of the week. The first one was that bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. Let that sink in. Do you believe that? Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. We've also been saying that there is nothing that God loves to do more than keeping His promises, answering prayers, performing miracles, and fulfilling dreams. I love that. The book, The Circle Maker, which I encourage you to pick up a copy and to be reading with us, it's based on a true legend of a man named Honey. He was a Jewish sage that dared to pray during the first century B.C., the generation that lived right before Jesus. There was a tremendous drought. In fact, there, it was, uh, the, the land was parched. The miracles were a distant memory. 400 years had gone by without any prophecy, no prophets that were living. But Honey, he dared to pray for rain. In the book, it, it says, and in this legend, it says that Honey circled himself He took a staff in the sand and he prayed this. Listen, Lord of universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. Seems like a simple prayer, but it was a powerful prayer saying, I am not going to move from here. There was no doubt in his mind. He spoke with authority. And as he prayed that prayer, the prayer ascended to heaven and raindrops began to descend from heaven. But then he says, Not for such a rain have I prayed, but for the rain that will fill cisterns and pits and caverns. He said, I'm not satisfied with just a little, but Lord, drench us with an incredible rain. And what the legend says, that that sprinkle became a torrential downpour. The eyewitnesses said that there were no raindrops smaller than the size of an egg. What caused it caused the people all to run to the temple. But Honey, he stayed there and he prayed one more time. He said, not for such a rain have I prayed, but for the rain of your favor and blessing and graciousness. And God, he honored that incredible prayer. God answered Honey's prayer. Honey circled himself in prayer, dared to trust God to answer his prayer, and God came through. We've been saying that praying circles, which is what we're trying to do, trying to talk about, is really an attitude of believing in the power of focused prayer, laser-focused prayer resulting in the impossible. And if that's going to happen, we have to first believe that God is for us. We gave you an assignment that from two weeks ago through Easter, in that six-week period of time, that we want each and every one of you to take a prayer retreat, to take a half day, a full day is even better, and to get away by yourself, get a prayer journal and God's Word, take some worship music, and sit before Jesus. Start to write out your dreams and start to discern God's will for you personally. You need an encounter with God. I don't say that like you need it. I need it too. 
And we need to answer the question like Jesus asked the, the blind man last week or two weeks ago we talked about it. What do you want from me? Jesus knew what he wanted, but God is asking that question. What do you want from me? What is your Jericho? And so we start to circle some prayers. Is it healing in your life? Is it salvation for your friends and family? Is it reconciliation of relationships? It might be provision. It could be a zip code or a neighborhood or your office. It could be an amount, a specific amount of what it will take you to get out of debt. I talked about this a couple weeks ago that we need to be praying circles around our kids, praying circles around our spouses. And we we do that for God's glory and for God's honor. We also are asking you to pray corporately for four things. We've been communicating these and we'll continue to through Easter time. There are four things that we're asking you to be praying for seriously. The first one is for revival. And you say, well, what does that mean, what revival? What that means is transformed hearts and transformed lives. People coming to Jesus, number one, that's most important, that people would find the Lord or return to the Lord and, and just to surrender at his feet, number one. But you know what? Revival is for believers as well. There's a stirring in our midst. God is wanting to take us further, and he wants to move in our hearts. And as we grow, and as we are discipled, there's an excitement. There's flames, little flickers that kind of ignite, and we are praying that revival fires fall on each and every one of us. Number one, revival. The second thing we're praying for is for our property, that we're praying that God will give us crystal clear direction. And again, tonight, we're going to take some time and talk about that. I want to encourage you, don't miss tonight's meeting. Annual business meeting, 6 o'clock. We've got child care, refreshments. It's going to be a great time. Thirdly, we are praying that wherever your feet go, kind of like Joshua was promised, wherever your feet go, you will be blessed or you will conquer that land. That as you drive, as you walk, as you are go to work, that you are circling everything in prayer. The people that you meet, rub shoulders with at the grocery store, the people at the, at the gas station, the people in your office, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your family, that you are circling those things in prayer, that we are praying the thirdly for our community. How many know that this community needs a touch from the Lord? How many know that we need a touch from the Lord? Amen. Absolutely. We need it. And then the fourth thing, we know that as God is moving, we know that the enemy attacks. And so we're asking that you would pray for the staff at the Gateway Church, the worship team. We're asking you to pray for Pastor Pete and Deb and pray for my family and uh, pray for uh, Penny and, uh, and for Bonnie in the office. And, and then not only our staff currently, but we've uh, talked about a 10-year plan that we believe that God is leading us to and praying for future staff as well, asking for those four things. I would encourage you to write those down, to pray for our revival, property, community, and staffing, and believing God together for the impossible. Amen? Amen. Well, in the book, The Circle Maker, it shares that story of Honey, who dared to pray, and that legend, as you kind of read it, it doesn't say that he created a semicircle, something that he could get out of. He didn't have an escape route, 
It wasn't some sort of magic trick. He, he didn't put an expiration date on his prayer. Honey had backed himself into a circle, and the only way out was a miracle. Drawing circles, that attitude of believing in the power of God for something impossible, it's often prayers like that, prayers like Honey's, that really may seem a little foolish. As Honey was circling himself in there and even started to, to pray such a bold prayer, he must have felt foolish in his heart and in his mind. And you know what's interesting? It wasn't foolishness that caused Honey to pray like that. It was faith. But faith is the willingness to look foolish at times. And I know when I say that or when you read that, you're like, ah, is that really true? Well, let's look at Scripture. Let's look at a few stories in Scripture. How about Noah? When God called him to build a boat, how many think he may have looked a little foolish? How about the Israelites who marched around the walls of Jericho? Do you think they may have thought, what in the world are we doing? How about David picking up five smooth stones, putting that in a slingshot? Could he have felt a little foolish? Or the wise men tracking a star when Jesus was born and they're looking and they're setting out on a journey. They could have looked foolish again. How about Peter walking on water, getting out of a perfectly good boat? It would have seemed like foolishness. And even Jesus wearing a thorn of crowns with blood dripping out of his, out of his vessels would have seemed like foolishness to those that have watched that. But think about it. Noah built the ark and he saved his family. And we are here today because Noah dared to have faith. The Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho and the walls came down. We learned that a couple weeks ago. David, with the slingshot, defeated Goliath. The wise men tracked a star. They found Jesus. Peter he actually walked on water. And even though Jesus had this crown of thorns buried into his skull, he died, he rose again, and he is now, and always was really, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He wears a different crown today. You know, all throughout Scripture, God calls people to have great faith. He puts things in our heart, but oftentimes that looks like foolishness. And Moses was not exempt to that. In Numbers chapter 11, we're going to look at a story here in just a moment. But think about Moses and his track record. When Moses was called to go and to talk to Pharaoh, first of all, he says, man, I can't even talk right. I stutter. I, I, I'm not a, I don't have eloquence of speech. But God says, no, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Do you think that may have felt a little foolish? To say, hey, there's going to be these plagues would have been a little foolish. How about uh, Moses after they leave Egypt? They're on their way. They come to the Red Sea. Moses has a, a rod in his hand. Do you think he may have felt a little foolish picking that rod up and putting it into the Red Sea? Absolutely. And again, Moses, a little later on in Numbers chapter 11, now the children of Israel are out in the desert and the children of Israel, they're remembering back to what it was like in Egypt. And they are hungry for some meat. And they are saying, they're wailing, saying in verse 4, 
If we only had some meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. We ate cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. God was providing for them daily, but they were frustrated. They didn't have any meat. But then Moses heard the people, and he heard in verse 10, the people of every family wailing at the entrance of his tent. And the Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble to your servant? This is Moses complaining now. Why have, or what have I done to displease you that you have put this burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? <laughs> Did I give birth? Did, why do you, do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers. Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us the meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people on myself. The burden is too heavy. Moses is saying, I am worn out. I'm sick and tired of it. God, do something about it. And then he says this. He says, if this is how you want, you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. Moses is complaining. The children of Israel are complaining. They're wanting this meat. And what's interesting, as the story progresses, we see that Moses dared to tell the people of Israel what God told them to do. Let's look at verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to be leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit that is on you and put the Spirit on them. First of all, God answers Moses' prayer, and he gives him direction to expand his opportunity, to delegate. We're talking about that on Wednesday night in Master Level Leadership in, uh, in Connect 301, and that's what God says. So he takes care of Moses, but then he says this. He says, tell the people, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow, when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed, if we only had meat or meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. Now I want you to pause there for a moment. If you were Moses and you heard the Lord say that, you felt impressed in your heart that God was going to provide meat for all these people, would you share that out loud? What Moses does is he draws a circle around that promise, but he had to have felt a little foolish. And what's interesting is the bigger the circle that you draw, the more foolish you may seem. In order to experience a miracle, though, you have to take a risk, risking your reputation. And Moses put his reputation on the line. And actually, it was the Lord's reputation. And Moses, his response, it's interesting. These four, after 400 years of slavery, they've been delivered, and now they're in the desert, and they're complaining. They're having a food tantrum, I would call it. And before you start judging and saying, those guys were idiots, those, those Israelites are always complaining, just think about your own life. Think about all the goodness that's in your life. And do you ever have a little time of complaining? <laughs> It's pretty natural. We understand that. But God promised meat for a month. 
And Moses, in his mind, is saying this is a mathematical impossibility. In Moses' mind, the math doesn't add up. He cannot think of a conceivable way how God could fulfill that promise. But he still shared that. He's thinking, I'm sure, meet for a day, maybe. Meet for a month, no way. And I'm wondering, have you ever been there? Maybe God has put something in your heart, a promise, and it doesn't add up. Maybe God has put in your heart that he wants you to take a job that pays a little less and it doesn't add up. Or God wants you to go on a missions trip and the $1,500 price tag or the $3,500 price tag, it just doesn't add up. How will that work out? Or God wants you to get married and it doesn't seem to add up. Or God wants you to go to grad school or get your doctorate. It doesn't add up. Or God may want you to adopt. And you're saying, boy, how does this fit into our family? Have you ever been there? When I was 16 years old, I kind of came to one of those moments. I had decided to go on a missions trip, my very first missions trip. And I think the price tag was $1,600 that I had to raise to be able to go. And in my mind, it didn't add up, let me tell you. And I was working hard. I had my own little business, um, lawn care business, and I had quite a bit um, uh, that I was saving up. And I got about $400 that I was ready to pay the next deposit uh, for the trip. But God spoke to my heart, and he said, Ben, I want you to give that $400 to another family that needed it in the church. I was 16 years old, I'm saying, that can't be from God. That money's for my missions trip. But God was persistent. And God said again, hey, I want you to give that $400 to this other family. I think it might have taken three times for me to obey, really. And I said, okay, God, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. It may seem foolish in my mind to give away what was to go towards a missions trip. And it didn't add up. What's interesting, you fast forward a couple months and it came down for the final deadline, the final Sunday, for all of our money to be in. And the Lord had blessed us in lots of ways, our team. But literally, on the Sunday that everything was due, I was $400 short. This is not a lie. $400 short. I'm saying, what? I said, I made a mistake. But what was interesting is a friend of mine, Josh Urich, that was going on the same trip, he was $400 and actually $450 over that he had raised, and they transferred the funds into my account, and I was able to go on the trip. You can't tell me that God was speaking to me as a young man that I could trust God. And that may have looked like foolishness, but it was faith, trusting God. It adds up with God. Actually, it doesn't need to just add up. It will always multiply with God. In the New Testament, there was a story, and I can't imagine what the disciples were thinking, how foolish it would have seemed to try to feed 5,000 men and all the women. They Most commentators say there had to have been at least 10,000 people to be fed with five loaves and two fish. But church, five loaves plus two fish does not equal seven in God's economy, in God's ways. Five plus seven equals 5,000 fed plus 12 remaining baskets full. But in that moment, when Jesus had the seven fish and the two loaves, you know 
that he felt that he would have felt a little foolish, or his disciples would have for sure. The disciples were told to put everybody in groups of 50. They're thinking, this is silly. It's not going to add up. What is going on here? But you know what? God calls us at times to look foolish because he is going to work on our behalf. I remember a time when I was first in ministry, when we first started at Bethel Christian right out of college, uh, on Sunday nights at church, they had all the pastors sit on the stage and like they would watch everybody worship or something. I don't know. It didn't last but for about a year and then, they, then we were back on the front row or, uh, for the very first time. The history of that church, the, the pastors always <laughs> stood on the, on the uh, uh, stage. But I remember being up there and the Lord put on my heart to go grab, uh, there was an American flag and a Christian flag, and to grab the American flag during worship and to wave it back and forth. And I'm thinking, there is no way in the world am I doing this. I'm like 22, 23 years old, right out of college. You know, I got my suit and tie on that we had to wear. And I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. But the Lord wouldn't let it go. And as the worship service went on, I made my way back. And I closed my eyes. I didn't want to know if anyone saw me or not. And I grabbed that flag, and I just kind of waved it back and forth like this as we worshiped. I put it back in, and I returned. No one said a thing. <laughs> Even my wife, she didn't say anything till months later. I don't know why God called me to do that. I mean, that sounds stupid, doesn't it? And it might have been stupid. It might have just been me. I don't know. But you know what? You hear stories. This is a true story I heard a few years ago about the guy called to go in to the 7-Eleven, and he felt God was telling him to go into the 7-Eleven and stand on his head. And he's saying, no way, Lord. <laughs> but he couldn't get it off his mind, so he circled back around, went into the 7-Eleven, and stood on his head right in the convenience store. What he didn't know is that night, the only employee that was there had said if the only way he wasn't going to take his life was if someone came in and stood on his head, stood on their head. And that young man gave his heart to the Lord and is a part of a church in the Detroit area. Isn't that incredible? See, you don't know what God is calling you to do. And it may seem foolish at times, but it's faith that may seem foolish. But God, he wants to move us in that direction. It may be in a faith promise. Maybe you've made, you're saying, man, I don't know how in the world I'm going to make this faith promise, but God, he wants to provide. Amen? Amen. And back in Numbers 11, Moses is here. They're in the wilderness of Paran, by the way, 50 miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea, 50 miles southwest of the Dead Sea. And the reason I say that is because quail tend to live by water. And quail don't fly long distances. And so in verse 31, when the miracle takes place, when God provides, listen what it says. It says, Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. This was no ordinary wind. This was a supernatural westerly wind that brought these quail in. And then let's continue. See what it says. It says, It brought them all down to the camp to about three feet above the ground, as far as the day's walk in any direction. What's, fifth, what's uh, 
a day's walk, maybe 12 to 15 miles in north, south, east, and west. Just think about it from here. If we'd started here, walked 15 miles north, we'd be close to North Muskegon. We'd be south of Muskegon, south of Grand Haven a little bit, and we'd be out to maybe Coopersville area. That is a huge area that God brought the, the quail in. But the distance was not like just you know, a couple miles in off of the sea. It would be like from, Grand Rap- or from uh, Lake Michigan all the way to the east side of Grand Rapids that these quail were blown in. It was a miracle. It says, All that day and night, all the next day, the people went out and gathered the quail. No one gathered less than to- 10 homers. Now, I want you to think about this. 10 homers which is average about 200 liters, 10 homers times 600,000 men. If the quail were average size, I didn't do the math of this, but uh, in the book the circle maker describes, that that would have been over a million quail blown in for such a time as that. God provided in a dramatic proportion. And Moses, in his mind, he's saying this is completely unpredictable. It's unprecedented. But Moses circled the promise. He dared to share what was going to happen. And God delivered. And the question is for us this morning, is there, a, is there a promise that you need to circle in your life? What is it that God would lead you to circle? We're saying that before Easter... We want you to answer that question, or you're going to miss the point of this series. What does God want to do in your life? What promise do you need to circle? And I know what some of you are saying. That sounds good for you, Pastor. I know that some of you think of all kinds of logical excuses, and think about Moses. Moses wasn't exempt to the excuses. It's interesting, when you read it, verse 21 of chapter 11, Moses says to God, like God didn't know, he says, here I am among 6,000, there's 600,000 men on foot. You add in all the kids, it's over a million people. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish of the sea were caught by them? Moses is saying, come on. Is that really possible? And I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, okay, I've had some dreams, but it just seems like a pipe dream. Come on, really? What was God's answer? What was God's answer? Let's look at it in verse 23. This is so powerful. And I believe God wants to speak into your heart this answer as well. The Lord answered Moses. He said, is my arm, or is the Lord's arm too short? In other words, he's saying, is it, am I able to accomplish what I've said I would accomplish? Is my arm too short? Is there any limit to my power? And all of us have to answer that question. And some of us answer it right here in our head. We can look in Scripture that says that God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing, all these things. But you know what? We need to answer that not only in our head and understand that God is all-powerful, 
but we need to understand it in our heart as well and to believe it and to act on it. See, when God gives a vision, I believe he makes the provision for that. And tonight we're going to talk about that in regards to our future as a church. And so what steps of faith do you need to take? Where do you need to move? What decision do you need to make? On what promise do you need to put down the stake and say, okay, I'm standing on this truth. I'm not going to be moved. And I'm not talking about name it, claim it type of theology or some kind of magic trick or some kind of genie in a bottle. If we're going to put a stake in the ground, we better know that it's God. Am I right? So how do you discern the will of God? Well, you discern the will of God by spending time with Him. That's why we're saying get away. You, get, you discern the will of God by, by writing and journaling, and by telling trusted people in your life. And most importantly, you discern the will of God from God's Word itself. And the reason I say that is because we need to judge our own motives. We don't understand our own motives, though the Word of God says. And it's interesting, there's a book called Sun Stand Still that I've been rereading over the last couple of weeks. And it's a, it's a book about faith and uh, just taking big, uh, big steps of faith. When Joshua, uh, when, when the battle, when the sun stood still for, uh, until the battle was complete. But interesting here, he says, look, this is Stephen Furtick. He says, if you're going to ask God to do something impossible in your life, You've got to have a clear or a clarity about what you're asking for. You've got to know you're not just spinning a fantasy or going on a delusional ego trip. And I tell you what, I read that and I'm like, okay, that's smart because I can come up with my own ideas, but I don't need any more of my own ideas. I need God's ideas. What is it God is calling me to do? And he says this, far too many well-meaning Christians have wrecked their lives because they chased after a far-fetched idea that they sincerely thought came from God. And they would be the first to tell you to be careful to not mistake a delusion for a true vision. Both can make you see things that no one else sees. And then he says, look, if a dream is in your heart and it's not biblically based, focused on Jesus, affirmed by the people, the key people in your lives, and tethered to the, your passions and gifts and life experiences, chances are you may be way off prompt. I appreciate a perspective like that. Because when we start talking about faith and start believing for things, and start putting a stake in the ground and saying, hey, this is what I'm, I'm circling, I'm putting myself kind of like honey, and saying, look, I don't care if I look foolish, Right? We want to know for sure that it's God, and we need to discern that. That's why we're saying we want you to get away and spend some time. Because you know what? I don't need any more of Ben Bay's thoughts. My best thoughts on my best day don't compare to God's greatness and His goodness. But when I can discern God's thoughts for me, God's command becomes my command. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. I'm going to close uh, on this verse here in just a moment. Isaiah 55 is a great, great chapter, an invitation to those who are thirsty for the Lord. I love how it starts. It says, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. What God is saying, look, if you are thirsty, if you are hungry for me, 
come and I will provide. You don't have to have anything. Just come as you are. Verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. But let's look at verses 8 and 9. This is what I want to focus on. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Isn't that the truth? Your thoughts are not God's thoughts. But neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are high, are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What he's saying is that what we believe for or we may see is different from what God has in store many times. And so we don't need more of our own thoughts. We need to discern God's will. We need to be obedient. We need to walk in faith. I believe that the greatest moments in history are where people, they intersect them, their thoughts and, and their prayers with God's thoughts, and they hit a home run for the Lord. They take a risk. And some of you are saying, well, that sounds good, but that's got to be for, for the super spiritual. And I would just say, no. What we're talking about, this kind of audacious faith, is for school teachers and stay-at-home moms, for seventh-grade girls and Maybe even seventh grade boys, I'm not sure about that. For construction workers and bankers and hairstylists and college students. It's for each and every one of us, young and old. Because we serve a same God that did the miracle at Jericho. We serve the same God that performed this incredible act of mercy that actually had a little vengeance in it, if you read the whole story, of providing quail meat for the children of Israel. So the question is, is what is next for you or for me or for us? I want to say this, first of all, is I believe that God is calling us to know more church as normal. We are called to take ground and win big for the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? That's what God is calling us to. And I'm challenged by a, a great man of God. His name is Jim Cimbala, pastor out of Brooklyn Tabernacle. Has anyone ever heard of Jim Cimbala? A few of you have. He wrote a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And he described a moment in his life where he said, he kind of drew a line in the sand. He, says, he said this, he says, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show up mighty on my behalf. And let me just tell you, when I read that, it motivates me. It motivates me to take a step of faith, to maybe even look foolish for the Lord, to trust God big time. Say, God, I long for you to move on my behalf in a mighty way. I want you to move in my family and in my life, in my circumstances, at my school, in my work, in my business. And I want to challenge us this morning to take some steps in the right direction, to begin to dream big for the Lord. And of course, it starts with our heart right with the Lord. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, or if you're here this morning and you're away from God, I just want to plead with you, don't walk out of here 
without getting right with God? I don't know where you are today, but if that's you, in a moment, we're going to give you opportunity to say, I surrender, Lord. I give you my life. Come in and fill me up. But I want to close with a question that I believe that the Lord gave me. The question is, are you willing to look foolish for God? Are you willing to look foolish for God? Do you desire to live by faith, in other words? Are you desiring to dream big in your life? And we've got to answer that question as well. This morning, I want everyone's head bowed and eyes closed. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, or maybe you did at one point, but you want to come back to Him and, and surrender your life afresh and anew, you want to, like we talked about last week, maybe there's some grave clothes on you uh, that, that the, the enemy is trying to get the best, and you're saying, I want to be rid of this. I want to come back to Jesus to make me clean and whole. If that's you this morning, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray with you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you this morning. But if you're here, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, or if you've been living your life uh, away from God or not with God as a priority, would you just surrender your heart to Jesus today? That's the most important place to start. Anybody at all? Just take a moment. Look at my right, your left. Look in the center. Anyone at all? Now on my left, your, your right. Anyone over here? This morning, one young man surrendered his heart to the Lord and started a, a new journey. But as your heads are bowed and eyes closed, I'm wondering how many of you desire to live by faith. And by a show of hands, if you would say, God, God, I'm willing to look foolish for you, would you be willing just to slip up your hand right where you are? If you're willing to do something that may even seem foolish for the Lord, lots of hands. All right, put your hands down. I'm going to ask everyone to stand this morning. And the way I want to close today is by spending a few moments in God's presence, in worship, surrendering our hearts and saying, God, consume me from the inside out. Make me, conform me into your image. And now I know that a lot of you put up your hands and saying, you know what, I, I'm willing to look foolish for the Lord. But I'm going to ask you this morning to do something that may be uncomfortable for some. I'm going to ask that after I pray that you would step out from where you are and I want you to come to this altar. And we're going to spend some time here and then we're going to pray for a little bit and just seek the Lord. If you raised your hand and you meant that, saying, God, I want to live by faith. I am willing to look foolish for you. I want to begin to dream big. I want to circle some things in my life that I can stand for and know confidently. I believe that it will begin or will continue for you, th your journey this morning. So let me pray, and then we're going to move. Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us, God, in who you are. Lord, that we would take a step, that we'd be willing to even look foolish for you. 
God, that you would be the King of kings and the Lord of lords of our lives, that you would lead us and guide us. And God, more than anything this morning, speak to our hearts. Help us to discern your will. God, we don't want any more of our own thoughts, but God, we are desperate for a word from you for our lives, for our circumstances. God, speak to us in the name of Jesus. I pray it all. Amen. Amen.